0: It's kind of a mind in that sense, that you're like, how am I so successful? How am I doing so well?
1: And how do I look at my bank account and it's so low? My first month, I made about $20,000 in the first month of business. This was not even intentional. I put it out there and people were buying like crazy.
2: So when to scale? All day, every day, all the time. You're always scaling. You're always trying to make it bigger.
3: Hello, everybody. My name is Kelly Martin, and you are listening to the ninth episode of Making It Work, made possible by FedEx. This isn't your run-of-the-mill business podcast. With the help of real entrepreneurs who are going through it all right now, we talk about the risks and rewards of starting your own company. In this episode, we're discussing when you should start scaling your business. And can big ever be too big? Asking the questions is Tom Scallon.
4: Scaling is a word you hear a lot in business. And trust me, If you do more than five minutes research on the subject, you'll soon learn that scaling is not the same as growing. The many self-proclaimed business gurus of this world will give you a firm rap over the knuckles for making that rookie mistake. But the distinction is worth pointing out. As far as I can tell, growing your business is increasing the revenue at any cost. Even if that means your expenses cancel out the profit, scaling your business is the holy grail. It's all about making more revenue with the same amount of effort. It relies on a proven concept and strong fundamentals. You get it right, and before you know it, you're a unicorn. Sounds easy, right? Well, let's speak to someone who actually knows what they're talking about. I'd like you to meet Akila, owner of Memphis-based Edge Entity, a company that makes products to stimulate hair growth. It was such a runaway success that at the beginning, she could hardly keep up with the orders but has since ironed out the kinks in her supply chain. We got onto that a little later, but I started by asking her whether scaling your business is a conscious decision or it's just a case of growing with increased demand.
1: It is because initially I felt like my business kind of grew really fast. Like my first month of business, I mean, like my first month, I made about $20,000 in the first month of business. And like I said, this, this was not even intentional. Like I put it out there and people were buying like crazy. And I just, it's so funny because it's nowhere near the level that it is now and people were buying it. But I was afraid to scale my business and to grow my business because I didn't think that I would have enough supply for the demand. It's just a matter of one thing I never want to do is limit, limit my income, limit my abilities based on not being able to provide enough for my customers. So I had to decide, okay, well, I can't do this on my own. I got to hire new people. You just have to grow with the demand. Initially, I was like, okay, well, we'll keep it. We'll keep the sales down. But who wants to do that? Why would you do that? Why would you, you know, you keep the sales down? But at the same time, if you know you can't deliver, the last thing you want to do is oversell, overpromise, and then you can't deliver to your customers. So I do kind of stay like in this little, because I could probably advertise more and do more, make more money. My my employees, I would probably have to hire more, but that's just, you know, what comes with having more demand. So I think that sometimes people decide based on what they have and the inventory that they have, you know, people are willing to just sell out. But for me, it's like, okay, you want the business to grow. You just have to make some decisions, which is start to hire more people, start to buy more inventory, things like that. So I'm always willing to scale up. Scaling up too much can be a bad thing, though, if you can't deliver.
4: Could it be a problem if you scaled too much um, and you got too many orders that you weren't able to fulfill? What's the worst thing that could happen?
1: I mean, that's happened before. I had an employee who, um, so I had this really huge sale for Christmas. It was so big. And it was like, if I do a buy one, get one free sale, it's like, I'm going to sell out. So that was my intentions. But I had an employee who didn't um, put the correct numbers in inventory. So we thought we had more than what we had. And because my vitamins are produced by a manufacturer, it takes a while to come in. It takes about six weeks to come in the vitamins to come in. And that's exactly what that employee uh, did. She put the wrong numbers. We thought we had 200 more than we had. Oh my God, it was such a mess because those people were buying vitamins that we didn't have. We had to contact every customer, ask them if they wanted a refund or if they wanted to wait. And then when they waited, the vitamins still came weeks later because of the holidays. So it was such a mess. I would never want to sell more than what I could provide. It it was just a really big mess.
4: I mean, could another incident like that sink your business or is it just a case of kind of affecting your reputation?
1: That I was just about to say that. Sometimes it's not even about just the business. Sinking the business is about people complaining, customer service, you know, people are going to say they're fraudulent or they, I didn't get my product. So that was the reason why we reached out to each person individually. And I always give an incentive. I was like, okay, well, you can get your money back, just totally get your money back. Or, um, you can get your money and, um, I mean, you can get the product when it comes and we still give you 20% back on the price that you paid just because you're waiting. Some people, you know, waited. They were like, I'm, I'm willing to wait for the vitamins as long as I get them as soon as they come in. But yeah, I'm more worried about my reputation more than anything. Because I mean, this is 200 vitamins. That's not even a lot. But those are 200 people. You know, we ship off 200 vitamins all the time. But those people are who are affected. And th- trust me, <laughs> people can't wait to talk, especially when you're a small business. You know, if this was Walmart, people wouldn't even complain as much. But because you're a small business, a lot of times people like to attack the business because they've supported you, you're not well known, and they have no problem going on to blogs, websites, or whatever. I've been threatened so many times because of misunderstandings, mistakes, and stuff like that. I don't want my customers unhappy, but people will try to alert their friends and family, and that's what I don't want You know, my reputation to be bad. I don't want that.
4: It's also an industry where there are a lot of frauds, I'm guessing, Oh my So God. the last thing you want to do is to associate yourself with them.
1: Yes. And I mean, those fraudulent companies make companies like me look bad. There's so much fraud going on. I mean, especially even with my business. If I could count how many pages on Instagram, how many fake edge entity pages there are, it's so ridiculous. Like there, there are fake edge entity pages, websites, all kind of stuff. And it's scary on top of just my own business, fake pages, you know, for Edge Entity and fake websites. But other businesses like mine, that sell hair care products and they're scamming people. It makes me look bad. People are going to be scared to buy from me because of what they've experienced from the previous hair companies. So, you know, I don't want to be one of those companies that didn't give you what you wanted.
4: So what's your plan for the future in terms of scaling? What have you learned? What are you going to do?
1: I wasn't even working with Facebook. And that's like one of the biggest companies to work with. And now since I've been working with them, I've been seeing a lot of extra revenue, but also reaching out to more brand ambassadors and influencers and people who can advertise my brand. It's it's all about scaling up. It's all about who sees your brand and making sure that new people see your brand every day. That's the biggest thing. It's it's all about how you market your brand, new ways to market your brand, new kind of videos, working with new people, collaborations. All of these things um, increase your visibility because there are so many people out there who don't know who you are. So in order to make more money and scale up, you have to get the attention of these people who... Don't know you exist.
4: So for you, the emphasis is always on spending money on marketing and getting sales and then thinking about how to fulfill the orders later on.
1: Yes, because we make our products in-house, we fulfill the orders as they come. We make everything fresh. So let's just say um, someone orders today, their product is going to be made tomorrow like that. It's not, it's the difference between buying products for me and a manufacturer. Those products were made a month ago and sent to the location. Most likely, if you are today, your product is going to literally be made tomorrow. It's a difference.
4: Okay. And because of that, you're able to sort of scale up or down according to how how many people want to buy.
1: Exactly. So if I'm like, okay, well, you know, and I can, I can literally say like how I want the week to go. If I'm like, well, you know, this week um, I want to have a really busy week. This is Super Bowl weekend or this is Grammy weekend or whatever. So let's do a lot of advertising. Let's put our money in marketing. Let's collaborate with some people. And I'm going to buy a lot of inventory and we're going to make a lot of money this week. And that's possible. I can do it exactly that way. I know exactly. I can pr- pretty much predict my sales.
4: Will it get to a point where you won't be so agile, where it's maybe not possible to make everything in-house anymore or having to move to bigger premises where there are bigger risks?
1: Yeah, I know that it, it'll get to that point. I'm afraid of it too. But I think a lot of business owners, you know, we want to we want to grow and we're also afraid of that growth. I, I, I like being in the comfort of being able to control everything, but there's no way that I can get to the level that I want to be on without moving up and getting out of the building that I'm in and not having these employees working around me, you know, I'm going to have to eventually hand this over, all of this. So it's something I'm looking forward to, but at the same time, it's a little scary because it's like such a different level.
4: So why not stay small? I mean, it's worked for hundreds of years. What's the obsession, do you think, with just growing to be as big as you can possibly be?
1: I just want to kind of like eliminate myself from so many of the responsibilities. Like right now, I'm still doing so much work. I'm not doing any of the physical work, like the labor, you know, in the workshop part, but I still am like making the products and, and I don't even do that as much, but I just, I just do still do so much and I would like to be able to kind of like eliminate myself from a lot of those responsibilities. I would like to be able to mass produce. There's no way that I could like make 10,000 orders a week how I am now, it wouldn't be possible. But I'm sure I could do something like that if I was, you know, my, my products were being manufactured in a different kind of way.
4: Akilah's predicament is interesting. On one hand, she likes being in control, on the other, she looks forward to the day when she can hand over the responsibility of the day-to-day to someone else, and I guess run the company from a beach in the Bahamas. It seems that if you want to scale your business, you have to be willing to give up control, whether that's to employees or investors. And Akila's not the only one that struggled with this prospect. Take Dana. She's owner of Anna Ono, a Philadelphia-based company that makes lingerie for women who've undergone mastectomies. Opening up her business to investors was initially a tough pill to swallow, but she soon realized that relinquishing some control was the only way to help as many breast cancer survivors as possible. In this respect, scaling went hand-in-hand with Anna Ono's vital social mission.
0: When you start a business... At least when I started my business, I really wanted to be in full control. I thought that that was a successful business, but I quickly learned, especially as I was bringing in employees, that everybody needs to have ownership and everybody needs to have a buy-in to really make your dream come true. It gets elevated when you take an outside investment because when you take an outside investment, you start to lose Portions of your business. And as you go into that investment trail, eventually you will lose the majority of your business. That's the way investment goes. And you have to be prepared for that. And I think that I, again, got some really amazing advice from some advisors that pointed out to me that if I started to accept investment, that at some point of time, I will not be in control of my business. And was I okay with that? And I had to take a moment of pause. I had to take a moment of inner reflection and to say to myself, what's more important that I continue to make the world a better place and I help other women who have faced disastrous life changes and in their minds and in their bodies and that I didn't own it 100%, but I was at least still doing good or do I stay small and help a smaller percentage of those women, but own my company outright? And the answer to myself was, I want to help as many women as I can possibly potentially help. And I can't do that without me asking for help. And that was a shift in my thinking of, is it okay for me to share my baby with other people? You have to really, truly find what the best answer is for yourself. Because if you do not see other people entering into that picture, with you, do not take investment. Um, If you do not see that that is what the future of your business is that you would like to have, you have to take a different path and you have to grow a little bit slower. Not that that's bad. There's nothing bad in that, but I really wanted to make sure that I could affect as many people as I possibly could with the business that I run and by helping women feel beautiful after cancer. And to do that, I needed outside help. And as a founder, as an independent person, as a type A, it's really hard to ask for help and it's really hard to give things up. But it has in turn matured me as a person. It's matured me professionally and it's absolutely matured my business.
4: I suppose at the beginning, it's a little bit easier because the level of demand for your products dictates how quickly you scale.
0: Yeah, my, my investment in my business was twofold. My sales were increasing so quickly that I actually literally could not afford to make my product fast enough to service my customer. And that's a very difficult problem because you don't have the cash to make more product. More product generates more sales. If you don't have more sales, then you're just staying even. You're not able to take that next jump up to the next plateau. And that's always a challenge. I never expected that scaling my business was going to be one of my biggest challenges in owning my business. I thought starting my business was going to be the hardest part. And actually starting the business was easy in comparison to scaling it.
4: Was there ever a fear you would have to fold because you couldn't afford to make the products that you needed to sell?
0: Every day you feel like you're going to fold (laughs) when you own a business. It's... uh, especially during that crucial startup phase, especially during the crucial growth phase that you are scaling and you are growing. And the pressure, the financial pressure of growing your business is very, very tricky and you have to manage through it. So every day I think to myself, oh my God, what do I do to get to that next level? How do I sell more product? Because I need more revenue to make more product. And this is a very tricky place to live in that you're trying to always look forward, but you're so pinched, even though you're making the most revenues, the most sales, the most everything that you've ever done before. And you're at your biggest stress point. It is, it's kind of a mind in that sense that you're like, how am I so successful? How am I doing so well? And how do I look at my bank account? And it's so low and I'm going month to month and sales order to sales order. It's, it's really hard to get through that because You feel successful, it looks successful, but your bank account is like screaming at you to put more money in it.
4: It seems like 99% of your problems are cash flow.
0: In a product driven business, your problem is always going to be cash flow. It's a very cash focused part of business. Like you need cash to make product and you need cash to pay for the product. And depending on what your model is, if you're working with people, if it's a B2B model, your cash is going out 30 to 60 to 90 days before you ever receive it back. So if you don't have a reserve, you could be out of business in those 30, 60, or 90 days because you, you're not stretching yourself to the next payment of that sales order of what you just expended six or 90 days before. So it's really tricky to constantly monitor that because you have to see what's coming in, but if it doesn't come in fast enough, you could be broke.
3: You're listening to Making It Work, coming up.
2: So when to scale? All day, every day, all the time. You're always scaling. You're always trying to make it bigger.
5: If you don't have the tools set up and you're misleading the customer, then yes, your business will go under, regardless of inventory or not.
2: So all of these opportunities to scale were there, and we had to literally tell every single one of them, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. There was definitely a desire to scale
4: amongst all of the entrepreneurs I interviewed for this podcast, but that's sort of a moot point. With both of the industries we've covered so far, beauty and fashion, scaling is survival. Not so much a choice, rather than a way of preparing your business for the inevitable onslaught of competition. Our next entrepreneur, David, says this is why you should think about scaling from day one. He's owner of Sharkwheel, a California-based business that makes square wheels designed for tough terrain. In his mind, you should choose your best idea and run with it even if that means putting other potentially lucrative projects on the back burner.
2: All right, so we talked earlier about the fact that I'm a bit of an odd duck in that I reinvented the wheel. And a wheel has a bazillion different categories to go into. And when we first launched, we were inundated with people saying,
1: Oh, we want to
2: try your wheel on our horse cart that we use to shoe horses. And another guy would be, oh, I want to put it on luggage. And another guy would be, oh, I want to put it on this. I want to put it on that. And we were making skateboard wheels. And not even that. We weren't even making wheels that you could ride. So all of these opportunities to scale were there. And we had to literally tell every single one of them, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. It wasn't that we didn't have the money. We didn't have the time. There's only so much you can do. So you scale to your abilities. So when to scale? All day, every day, all the time. You're always scaling. You're always trying to make it bigger. But there's that second stage of, and this was us, we got the skateboard wheel done. We got it dialed. We started making them in the tens of thousands and selling them. And then it was like, okay, Let's go talk to that guy that said he shoes horses, you know, and see what he was about. And I'm actually going to tell you that story. It's a guy. It's a farrier. And, oh, I wish I knew remembered his name. He's going to kill me. But he called us and he said, I want to put your wheels on our little carts that shoe horses. And I'm thinking like some $5 push cart. And he then started ordering massive numbers of wheels from us. We started finding out these cards he built were incredibly beautiful and massive, and our wheels were just killing it going through the crap that they go through in that world. And that was such a weird place to scale into, and the only reason I did it was he agreed to do all the work. He agreed to invent the thing that was going to hold the wheel to make it work on his card. So I said, great, you go do that. But on the other side, I went into luggage and I went into warehouse equipment and I started scaling with that. Well, at the same time, we had 80,000 other people coming to us with opportunity to scale, opportunity to scale, here's the money to do it, blah, blah, blah. I kept saying, look, we'll get them next year. We'll get them the year after that, okay? There isn't another guy with a square wheel that's going to go get the business. We'll get them when it's time. We can't get everything. So, you have to scale to your abilities um, and always be scaling to your abilities. You've all, if you're in any sort of a growth pattern or unless you're trying to sell the company and exit out, you're in that phase of growth. And so it's as best as you can with the time you have available. You cannot scale beyond your own time. Money doesn't help you scale. It's all about do you have the time, resources to do it. And if you can allocate really well and you got a great team, You can scale really big, really fast. But if it's just you, yeah, it's only 24 hours in a day. I spend at least two sleeping. Would it not be fair to say that you're in a
4: luxury position because people can't just steal your idea?
2: All right, well, don't get me wrong. While at the moment I happen to be incredibly unique and I'm blessed to have the opportunity to have a unique product that's protectable by IP and allows me to wait and, and do something later, my whole life was not that way. My whole life was run, 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 because if I wasn't running and finding the next best ad to put out or the next best thing to put out, my competition would crush me. And it was Dog eat dog my whole life. And I understand that way of living. And I understand that when you don't have that luxury of having, you know, some unique I reinvented the wheel product, okay, well, guess what? You're in the hunt now and you better enjoy the hunt. I did. I loved the fight every day. I loved coming up with the best internal systems that i i would always say i hate people i just want the systems to do all the work the people should be doing what they do well if it's talking on the phone and selling they should be talking on the phone and selling and the computer should be doing all the work for them always 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 chasing the prize even though i'm not i have the luxury of pushing off some project a year or whatever that doesn't give me the luxury of being a slacker on the warehouse equipment and the luggage and the other stuff that I did choose it's all hands on deck all day to get those projects done so how do you choose the projects to kind of pursue okay well that's again not a great question how do you choose which ones of the hundreds to do in the beginning you got it it was kind of a guess and a lot of them didn't work out you know i i picked two beauties in the beginning. One was a bicycle, which having not thought it out, the thing wasn't going to turn. Um, and I, I just didn't get past that. I was like, yeah, it'll go straight. Great. And I didn't think about turning. (laughs) And then when I realized it wasn't going to turn, it was like, all right, hold on. Yeah. All those molds we made for bike wheels. Yeah. Set those aside. We're going to use them for something else someday, but it sure as heck ain't going on a bike. Um, Made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. So trying to decide which one it was, you know, best guesses in the beginning. But then after a period, it becomes that low-hanging fruit. You're always picking the ones that you think you can monetize the quickest and the best. And generally speaking, that always means partnerships, people who have something else to bring to the table, whether it's manufacturing expertise or warehousing or this or that. There's people that can help you get to your goals really quick as partners rather than you trying to gut it all out as yourself. I always said I don't want to be Acme Incorporated anymore. I don't want to have a thousand employees. I'd rather be like this super efficient, you know, thing in the middle where I've partnered with a lot of great professional companies, which we have, and using our resources together. You know, it's not all my IT people and their IT people. It's like, no, you do it better than me, you do that, I'll do this. So many people are afraid to give away shares and ownership and percentages and things like that to scale for growth. In the beginning, I was that guy. It was always my money, my money, my money. There were no investors. There was no opportunity for anybody else to make money on the company but me. Um, that was a mistake because they only grew so big. That I, I could only be so big. And so if you really want to scale, give away a good percentage of your company. I mean, because you'll end up owning a smaller percentage. I mean, this is such a tired saying, but do you want to own 100% of a grape or 50% of a watermelon? And that's the way it works. You know, by taking an investment capital, taking on partners, taking on all those other kind of things, I'm a much, much, much bigger company than I would have ever gotten to in this amount of time by myself. It was
4: smart of David to choose partners to help scale his business. Not only did it increase his speed to market, it also helped spread some of the risk. While I'm not sure his view that money doesn't help you to scale would be shared with the other entrepreneurs I spoke to, you certainly can't argue with his results. Two people who could have maybe done with a cash injection to scale more quickly are Diana and Jean. They're owners of Chicago based company The Groomsman Suit, which makes suits and tuxedos for weddings. They're also the ones we'll finish up with. At the beginning, they had to spend all of their revenue on inventory. But after making the tough financial decision to invest in an extra pair of hands, they could concentrate on laying the foundations of a strong customer-focused enterprise. This way, they could scale sustainably and ultimately avoid the fate of some of their competitors.
6: We have been so fortunate to not have to consider how to grow the business, you know, from the moment we started the groomsman suit, it's almost like the universe has pulled this concept so quickly that for the past two years, we have just been trying to keep up, um, which is a sign of a really great idea. And the fact that you have excellent product market fit, it's never been an issue for us on like, okay, we need to increase sales. And a lot of times for us, it's been like, how do we slow things down? There have been real decisions that we've made to sort of protect ourselves from imploding with growth. One of them, you know, we, Shark Tank, reached out to us to be on the show potentially. And, you know, in the end, we were kind of a little too far uh, latent stage company. um, And we weren't sure we would actually be able to handle all of the, marketing that it would bring to us, all the sales that it would bring to us. In addition to that, like we've done things this year that have sort of paused our marketing efforts at various points because we were having a hard time supplying the demand. So I think that's always like a great, I mean, it is a great sign for a starting business if it really starts to take off and you're just trying to kind of keep your customers happy. And that's really been our main focus. I think it's also what's sort of solidified us as a company over the past year is that we, in those moments of really fast growth, and maybe we've had some back orders, we doubled down on the service that we were giving to our customers. And we really focused on taking care of the customers that we had instead of adding more. You know, there's a lot that happens, especially in the e-commerce space about like, You know, companies just scaling really quickly, exponential, explosive growth. And then they fizzle out after a couple of years. And we do not want to be
5: that brand. We want to be here for a long time. Very intentional with all the decisions. I think, though, the scale that we had to be really um, smart about is when we hired people. For sure. Because I think we wanted, we knew, we felt the boom happening. We knew we needed help. But the money situation of like, okay, we're at this tipping point of we have a lot of money coming in, but we need a lot more suits because this volume is going wild. But we have to hire somebody because in three weeks we are going to be underwater and we can't manage the phone calls, the emails, and do smart things for the business. Yeah. So for us, we were really, really smart with when we hired people and who we hired um, to do the specific things that we, we saw needing the most attention as we grew.
6: Yeah. For us, we kind of hired when we got to a point of serious discomfort, like, you know, and then we were like, okay, that's the sign we need to add somebody. And then it was always amazing because once you bring another person into the fold, your capacity to grow the business, you know, doubles or grows with the amount of talent and people that manpower that you're adding. Um, But, you know, a lot of times when a company, when companies start to take off, they get a maybe a little overzealous in hiring a bunch of people, and that adds a lot to your overhead. And then, you know, you might not necessarily have all the sales to support that, or like you're, you kind of are not so self-sustaining. So for Gene and I, like we always, we always say to ourselves, okay, the amount of work that we're dealing with, the customer, the level of customer service inquiries is now starting to overwhelm us. We need to add that next person. And that and as been, soon as
5: we felt like we were the experts at what we were doing, we thought, okay, time to hand it off. Like, we've figured this out. We've created tools. We're making our lives easier. Now, let's just show another person how to do this as, as well, if not better. Most than of the time it's better.
6: <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> Every it, time we hand something off. But like, <laughs> it is really
5: important to figure this stuff out yourself. To right. be able to hire staff and understand, okay, what personality do I need to hire for this? What's the skill set got to be? And then how do I get them up and running as quickly as I can? Um, some people you can throw in and say, we need to figure out XYZ, go with it. But the majority of the time, you, you really do have to figure it out yourself to some degree and then train to fill it and do it better.
4: Could a huge surge in orders uh, sink your business?
5: Yeah, Absolutely.
6: Now we're a little bit more protected with that because we have our inventory in such where our inventory management is so much better than it was when we originally started. You know, it's really hard for us to predict sales or in the beginning, at least, when we didn't have a lot of historical context, like it was hard for us to predict our growth and we're always sort of exceeding our expectations. Um, now we are in a good system with inventory management where we have sort of evened out our supply chain and we're getting suiting regularly. But yeah, I mean, that's what has happened to some of our other competitors where, you know, they've been focused on being the end all be all to menswear. They started in suiting, they went to outerwear, they're, you know, doing casuals. And then they just kind of imploded on themselves because they expanded their skew size in such a large way, but they couldn't have necessarily. They didn't have the finances to, or the sophistication to really invest deeply into any one size set. So they were disappointing a lot of wedding groups um, and not being able to fulfill suiting orders that were placed five months in advance. You know, they were telling their the groups like a month before their wedding, "I'm sorry, we can't." We can't fulfill your suiting order. And that was incredibly damaging to their brand. They, are, they still haven't fully recovered. In fact, they did go under and, and have been bought back. But we that, that was like a good learning lesson for us to really grow intentionally and organically, take care of the customers that we have. We don't have the need to necessarily be in like, you know, Forbes or Fast Company for this like outrageously, even though we are, and we're in the top 2% of like e-commerce companies companies are at our stage, we just really want to do well with the sales that we have and continue to grow. And it's really
5: just all about customer service. I don't think not having inventory to supply demand could sink a company as much as what that does on a customer level. Right. So if you don't have the tools set up and you're misleading the customer by saying, if you place your order today, you're going to get it in five weeks but you don't have things buttoned up to actually deliver on that then yes your business will go under regardless of inventory or not Um, but for us we have a huge surplus of orders that's awesome that won't necessarily be you know an issue for us except unless we don't communicate or have the tools to communicate with the customer's openly and honestly about when that inventory is arriving and when when we can deliver it so throughout our painful year of growth we realized that very quickly like we you cannot sell something to a customer that you don't have and you can't make it feel that way to the customer if they visit your website and they place their order they're expecting to get it so now we we communicate when we have flows of inventory coming in there are very clear dates um, set up to when when they can expect the suit, um, and then we hold true to those dates, and that is just that's on us to maintain, and um, is totally essential for maintaining that customer service, which is the reason why people come to us second to the quality of the product.
4: It just starts out with a business plan.
5: Uh, Actually, you know what? We started out with a Kickstarter. (laughs) So essentially... Kickstarter was
6: our business plan.
5: Essentially it was, yeah. Kickstarter is really cool because they they have an outline of sort of how are you going to sell your product? Why is this filling a need in the market? What's the benefit of ordering on the Kickstarter? And you sort of just have to answer the questions that then sort of form, eventually form a business plan. Um, But a formal business plan evolved uh, after launching the business and purely for like bank use and more, f- more formal formal things that we just really needed the nitty gritty business plan for.
4: Did you stick to your formal business plan or was it out the window?
5: No, I think we've done an Very awesome much. job. We are.
6: I love our business plan. It's um really kind of been our It's been something that we continue to update, you know, just as you would update your personal resume. Like, we are constantly adding to it. And it's funny, every time I look back at it, I'm like, oh, God, we did that. You know, we put Mm -hmm. that in there, and then we did that. Now, there are some things, you know, with maybe pop-up shops that we were thinking about or, like, little things that we didn't do. But for the most part, actually, we're even, like, ahead of where we thought we were gonna be. So that's really exciting to see that we're kind of, the business plan has been great because it sort of gives us these snapshots, almost like a balance sheet would, of where your company is financially. That business plan, the various versions for us have given us the snapshot of sort of where we've been at operationally, where we were, what our vision was for the company. And then when we look back at it, we're like, oh my gosh, we have done so much since that point.
0: Coming up next time. I like your idea. I like what you're doing. Your brand name sucks. And I was like, damn, maybe I don't know what I'm doing.
2: It could be pretty lonely up at the top because not everybody understands what's going on day to day in your life.
1: My own mother was like, you need to focus on school and stop spending your money on this thing that you're calling a business.
2: I gave up many times on many things. There's a time to quit. There's a time to hang it up and say it's a loser.
3: That's it for this episode of Making It Work. We'd love to know what you think of the series, so remember to rate this podcast. And drop us a comment, too. We really appreciate it. And if you don't want to miss out on the next one, why not subscribe? Thanks to our entrepreneurs, Akilah Augusta, Dana Donafrey, David Patrick, Diana Gans, and Gene Foley for their advice. Making It Work is produced by Yoli Marguerite, written by Tom Scallon, and edited by Lars Blockenberg, with creative direction from Jeroen von Konigshoven. Music by Fresh Big Mouth, who created this song with actual sounds from the FedEx Superhub in Memphis, Tennessee. This show is delivered to you by FedEx, and presented by Tom Scallon and me, Kelly Martin.